following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Paul is finishing up this communication he made to the, the church at Thessalonica. You remember from Acts 17 where it describes the beginning of this church that Paul and his party go to Thessalonica and he begins to preach the gospel. I can never forget these words in the first chapter for Thessalonians uh, when Paul says to them, our gospel, this was the first letter he wrote to them after they had come to faith in Christ. And he says, our gospel didn't come to you in word only. That is, it wasn't just a bunch of words, but it came in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much full conviction, just as you know what sort of men we became or we were made to be while we were with you for your sake. What he's saying is you saw God working in us as we preached the gospel to you. You saw the impact of the gospel on our lives, and it had deep impact, and a host of people came to faith in Christ, and this church becomes one of the examples of the power of the gospel in bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. And so you heard the third chapter read. This is the final statement of Paul to this, to this group of believers um, and the, and what we're talking about here in this passage is how will Jesus use us in the progress of the gospel? I really love this passage because it tells us what we can be doing to be engaged in the work of making disciples. You remember that Jesus called his disciples together and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and upon earth. This was after the resurrection. Therefore, since I have all authority, Go into all the world. There is no place you can't go. Go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, disciple making is the, it is the very assignment of the church of Jesus Christ. This is what we are to be doing. But disciple making starts with giving people the gospel for them to come to believe and rest their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And they come to have a relationship with him. They come to be born again. They come to experience justification, which is a big word that means God declares people to be right with him. It's amazing, glorious, and it's all based on grace. You can't buy anything in the kingdom of God. There is no money. It is only trust. It's trust. And this is what he is telling us. But in this passage, he tells us how we can be involved, how we can be useful in the great commission of taking the gospel out to the world and bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. And I, it's, I found it to be, it surprised me, and it's a good thing. It, it tells us what we can be doing very particularly, and it's things that won't scare you. That's, that's another thing about it. This won't scare you. This isn't here. Take this and go around from door to door and knock on every door and tell people this, this little thing I'm giving you to, to recite. It's not that. For First of all, there's two key ways in which Christ, I don't know if I can read this, there are two key ways in which Christ makes us significantly involved in the work of the kingdom around the world today. And those two things are this. First of all, it is making us partners in the gospel through prayer. Now, second way is by making us witnesses of the gospel through obedience. What am I talking about? Well, what did Jesus say to his disciples when he said, go into the world and make Disciples, go into all the world and make disciples for me. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. That is them coming to acknowledge that they have put faith in Jesus Christ. And secondly, teaching them to obey what? All that I have commanded you. For example, all you husbands, God is, Jesus has commanded you as believers to love your wife the way he loved the church. In fact, he's commanding all of us to love each other that way, to love each other the way Christ loved the church. And so we have commandments from him. And when we obey those commandments, and sometimes it seems impossible to obey those commandments, but that's why we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to obey. And when we obey those commandments, we are engaged in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. Now, notice this. The first way, by making us partners in the gospel through prayer, we're told we should pray continuously. That is for the gospel. We should pray continuously that the gospel would continue to move out and people would come to faith in Christ. The more and more people would come to believe, to hear and understand and believe the truth about who Christ is. And then secondly, pray passionately. You know what passionate prayer is? Your whole heart is involved in it. You want to see this happen. You want to see people come to receive forgiveness of sins and be reconciled to God and live in the kingdom of God. And then third, pray pray strategically. Now, strategically would mean that you actually know what's going on. And so you know the kind of prayer that needs to be going on. Some of you get... Uh, things in the mail about different ministries around the world who need prayer. Well, you should pay attention to those things. Those are good because it allows you to pray strategically. How do we pray strategically? First, pray that the word of the Lord will run and be glorified. That's the wording that Paul uses, that it would run and be glorified, just like it was in Thessalonica. Paul goes to Thessalonica. He preached there for three Sabbaths. Now, if he preached longer than that, that's possible, but it It only mentions three Sabbaths. He preaches in three Sabbaths, an entire group of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what happened, that the Jews who were part of that synagogue where he preached, some of them got angry because these Gentiles that would come to synagogue because they were attracted to the God of Israel, believed the message of the gospel, and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so all of a sudden you have a church in existence. But these enemies of the gospel, they begin to fight against Paul. They ran him out of town. He leaves Thessalonica and goes to Berea. And it says that when he gets to Berea, he finds a completely different atmosphere among these people. They check out everything he says. They go to the Bible and see if what he is saying is true. That's a good thing. That's a real good thing for you to do, is find out if this is really what the Bible teaches. And then, secondly, pray that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. For not all have faith. He's talking about those who are enemies of the gospel. There are people who don't want to hear the gospel and they don't want anybody else to hear the gospel. They're angry that there are people who are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he says, pray for them that they would not be taken advantage of by these people. Because Satan empowers the enemies of the gospel. And he wants it to be stopped. He wants to shut it down. He doesn't want it to be proclaimed in the open and freely. And then the second way is by making us witnesses of the gospel through obedience. We're told that the Lord is faithful in our lives so that we can obey Christ. I understand that you are not perfect. 
We sometimes fail. Sometimes we disobey Christ. Sometimes we do not obey his commandments. He tells us to love one another the way Christ loved the church. That means I should be willing to die for you. And sometimes I'm not even willing to walk across the room to say hello to you. It's terrible, isn't it? We all have the same condition. It's sin. And it's had an impact on our lives. And so the Lord is faithful to help us in obedience in this way. Notice, to protect our life. He keeps us from being. The reason you're alive today is because God is protecting your life. Secondly, he empowers you. He empowers your will. That he empowers you to do the right thing. Have you ever had that where you knew what the right thing to do was, but you didn't do it because it was inconvenient and you did something else? Well, God is able to empower you to obey him and do the right, to do the right thing. And then third, to direct your heart as you do the work of the gospel. God is able to so affect your heart that you actually love people and you know that they need Christ. They need to know him. They need to experience the work of Christ in their lives. And so he's able to produce these things in our heart. So, and then what Paul does, he gives them a relevant example of disobedience. You may not know what disobedience is. Maybe you've only lived in a situation where there's only obedience. But most of us have seen disobedience of various kinds, right? Well, Paul brings up one kind, and that is an unruly lifestyle. Um, this is a quote from Warren Risby. You've heard of him. His little book, Be Ready. He says, misinterpretations and misapplications of the truths of God's word can cause endless trouble. When people get things mixed up about what the Bible is teaching and they promote things that are not true, it can really cause trouble. He says, history records the foolishness of people who set dates. That is, Jesus is coming back on August 23rd, that kind of thing. Uh, They set dates. They sold their possessions and sat on mountains waiting for the Lord to return. That's how one denomination started. People went up on a mountain to to receive Jesus. He was coming back on that mountain. But they were lied to. He didn't come back on that mountain. Then they changed the story. Well, we thought he was coming back, but instead he was going into the presence of God on that day. And, And this happens. And so people get into these kind of conditions. He says, this is a good principle. This is Warren Wiersbe. This isn't the scripture, but it's a scriptural truth. He said, Any teaching that encourages us to disobey another divine teaching, another commandment of God, is not a biblical teaching. It's not the teaching of the Bible. Sometimes people will make you feel like you need to break this rule, this this commandment of Scripture, the commandment of Christ, in order to be a good Christian. Because good Christians don't have that kind of attitude. They, they, don't, they never tell people they're wrong about anything. I, I've never found a group like that. I'm, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that, to never tell people that they're wrong. I like it. I'd like my wife to be able to do that, but I've never been able to do that. And the reason is, is because it isn't true, is it? We sin and we disobey. And so what we should understand is if we think there's a commandment in Scripture that's telling us to disobey another commandment of Scripture, it's not a biblical teaching. It's a distortion. It's something that is not true. Now, Paul's response to an, uh, for an apostle who gives into the temptation of abandonment of gospel conduct, what he's doing here, 
he's mentioning in this, I'm quoting Galatians 2.14. Paul is telling these people in this letter of what happened with the apostle Peter. Now, the apostle Peter had a very high status in the church. Remember, he's the one who preached the message on the day of Pentecost. Remember that? And he was very important. But Peter made a huge mistake. What had happened was some people went up to Antioch, not this Antioch, but the Antioch above Jerusalem, way up above Jerusalem. They went there and they started preaching the gospel. These were people from Cyrene and Cyprus. And they made this huge mistake. They went there and they thought they should preach the gospel to everybody, not just Jews. And so they started preaching the gospel to Gentiles who were not Jews. And they listened to the gospel and they believed it. And all of a sudden they had a bunch of Christian Gentiles among them. And so what happened was when Peter went up there, he was thrilled with this. And he was having table fellowship with Gentiles, which his fellow Jews would never do. Remember when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Remember that? What he was talking about was this, that it was a Jewish belief that you should love your Jewish neighbor and hate your Gentile enemy. You should never. It's kind of like people who love one, one particular political party and hate another one. And if you're in that other party, they hate you. But Jesus said, I say unto you, he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, what? Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who want to hurt you. Isn't that crazy? But see, that's, that's the kingdom of God because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Now, what happened with Peter is he came there. He was fellowshipping. He, he had table fellowship. Now, here was the ultimate offense. If you were a Jewish person and you sat down at a meal with a Gentile, that was a horrible thing to do. And so what happened? Peter discovered that having fellowship with believers of any different group is a wonderful blessing. But then something happened. And what happened was he had some friends that came from James in Jerusalem. They were Jewish followers of Christ. And they didn't even think that the gospel would ever go to Gentiles. And so what happened was he became intimidated by these men and he withdrew from the, from the Gentiles. So all of a sudden, he wouldn't have anything to do with these Gentile Christians. He wouldn't speak to them. He wouldn't have table fellowship with them. He acted like they didn't exist. And so Paul confronted him to the face. And this is what he says. He says, when I saw that their conduct, so about Peter and those who followed him, I saw their conduct not in step, was not in step. And the, the, I show you the, the Greek word there just to give you an idea. You know what an orthopedic shoe is? It helps you to walk straight. Well, he says, they were not in step. They were not walking in line with the gospel. It's a distortion of the gospel to eliminate some class of people, some kind of people, because they don't, they're not a part of your group. And so Peter withdraws them. And he refused to speak to them. So Peter, well, guess what Paul did? Paul confronted Peter to the face in front of everybody. You're wrong, what you're doing is wrong. You're distorting the gospel. These men have rested their, these men and women have rested their faith in Jesus Christ. Even though they're not Jewish, they are followers of Jesus, the Messiah. 
and they are part of the kingdom of God. And you're to love them and to support them and help them. Well, of course, Peter should be used to that kind of thing, huh? John MacArthur calls Peter the, the, the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth because he constantly was saying things that were stupid. You know, you've you met people like that. They always say the wrong thing. And that's the way Peter was. And so Peter, even though he had been ministering to these people, withdraws from them. Now, he's using this as an example of something that he's talking about here in Thessalonians. He's talking about walking in an unruly way. When he says walking in an unruly way, he's not, what he is saying is, when you are walking in, in against the very things that Christ has told us how we should live and how we should relate to each other. And so he was confronted by the Apostle Paul. And he, he said, you're not walking in line with the gospel. You ever thought about that? Are you walking in line with the gospel? Do you think about the fact that the way you're living is either a contradiction to or it's an assent to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you treating Jesus as though he is the Messiah, the King of glory, the high King of heaven? You treating him that way or are you treating him as though he is like one, like I think Bob Dylan said it, you think he's just an errand boy to satisfy your wandering desires. No, he's the king of glory. He is the king of glory. And so this is what Paul is talking about in this section of Second Thessalonians. He's, the Lord's command is found in verse 6, if you'll look there. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof. That, you know what that means, keep aloof? It means stay away from. Don't mix it up with from every brother who leads an unruly life. And then he says this, and not according to the, he does does an unruly life instead of according to the tradition which you receive from us. And you go, well, I don't like tradition. Well, let me tell you what tradition means. It just means what's been handed over to us from Christ. Jesus has handed over to us how to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we love people. I mean, when you go back and look at the life of Jesus and the way that he dealt with people, sometimes it looks like, I can't even get it. How how could he treat this person this way? How could he befriend this person who was such a loser, who was such a jerk, who was so wrong about so many things? Why would he let the woman who was known as a loose woman come and wash his feet with her tears and dry, dry them with her hair? And then to anoint them with expensive perfume. Why would he do that? Well, he said because he was allowing her to show her gratefulness because she had been forgiven much. He forgave her for much and brought her into a right relationship with God. And sometimes uh, believers come to the idea that we're supposed to hate people who are outside of the kingdom of God and they're still living like sinners And they're still living in a way that's in direct contradiction to the word of God. And yet what God has done, he has sent us to those kind of people. He has sent us to people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is confronting them. And he says, now when there is a believer who's walking in in an unruly way, they're refusing to obey Christ, then there's something that you need to do. Now notice this. He says, Paul says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from. Keep away from. That's pretty simple language, isn't it? 
that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Please don't misunderstand the word tradition. It doesn't mean things that you've invented and now have become something you, that you do and, and pattern yourself after. Tradition is talking about what has Christ handed over to us? How has he told us to live? I have told you about the time I, I came to this conviction that the word of God was so clear to me that I was supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And so I went to her and I told her, I want to ask your forgiveness. Because I see clearly that God is, Christ has commanded me to love you. And I haven't loved you like I should. I haven't been sacrificial. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that I have overcome all my weaknesses in this area. I'm saying I recognize that I was living in an unruly way by not loving my wife the way I was supposed to. Now, I would assume some of you have some areas in your life where you're living in an unruly way, or you have in the past, or you have friends that do. Well, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, no, this, this is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. And what he had commanded them here was he told them, pay for your own food. The Apostle Paul traveled all over uh, preaching the gospel, but he never did take things from people to meet his needs. God met his needs. And what he did was he lived before them to show them what grace means and what it means to have the grace of God in your life. And then he says, it's a command from the commander in chief. Jesus Christ is the king of glory. One of his titles is high king of heaven. He's a king. You know, we don't have a king in the United States. We sometimes have a guy who thinks he's a king. That happens, doesn't it? In every country, just about. But we don't have a king. We don't live under a king. We live under a president and rulers and so forth. But living under a king is living under somebody who has absolute authority over your lives. What he says you should do, what he commands you to do, that's what you must do because he's the king of glory. And so he says this, that this is, a, this is a commandment that was binding upon them, that they should, they should be willing to work to, in order to earn what they needed in life. Now, what had happened at, at Thessalonica was there were some probably young men. We assume they're young men. <laughs> we don't know for sure. There were some people there that decided there was no need for them to work. Because look at the church. There's a, there's a bunch of people here, and they all have plenty of resources. So we can just stop by their house three times a day and eat our meals. Why do we need to get a job? And work. And Paul says, look at my example. When I was with you, I worked at night and I worked at day. I worked whenever it was necessary for me to meet my own needs. And he says, not that I couldn't command you to do this. I could command you to meet my needs. But he says, I wanted to to give you an example. I wanted to give you a testimony concerning Christ. And he has commanded us. In other words, I need to learn how to trust God enough that I can say, God will provide my needs through my labors, whatever they are. Now, this is, this is Paul's example. He says the power of example. In Luke, in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, it talks about how that a disciple is not like his teacher. The disciple is becoming like his teacher. He, the teacher is the example. 
And the disciple is the one who is trying to learn from his example. This is the toughest part about making disciples. Making disciples isn't just taking them through a Bible study. Making disciples is saying, hey, watch me and see the way I treat my wife, my children, my brothers and sisters in Christ and follow my example. That's what Paul did. I've never been able to say that. I can't get that out of my mouth. Follow me as I follow Christ. I can say it in the sermon because you're not thinking that I'm saying this about myself because I can never say this about myself. But that's what Paul did. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what discipleship is. It's living a life that another person can see and understand and do the same thing. This is how you're supposed to treat people. This is how you're supposed to treat material things. This is how you're to live your life, the way I'm living my life, because I'm walking in obedience to Christ. And so he says, this is a powerful thing. And then the moral obligation of example is in verse 7, he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. You ought to follow our example. We ought to be the kind of people that others can follow our example. This is a scary thing to preach because I don't want you calling me up and said, I thought you told us we should follow your example. What about this? I was talking on the phone one day and it was one of those things I was so frustrated over was that it was an online business that I was calling because they told me there was some serious problem I needed to talk to them about. I called them up and I'm talking to a computer. I can't get from the computer to a person. And I'm getting so irritated. And my youngest daughter says to me, she's standing there listening to me, and I'm just going on and on. And I'm yelling. And she says, Dad, you're talking to a computer, and it can't understand you. Now now that I've thought about this, I, I should have said to her, yeah, but you, I'm not a computer, and you refuse to do what I told you to do, Right? But it got me because she had me nailed to the wall. So I couldn't say to her, follow my example. And scream at the computer. That's, 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 uh, some of you probably do that. I, I, ought to have a, I ought to have an invitation. All you who scream at your computer, come forward and we'll pray for you. But the, the moral obligation that we have is we're to follow the example of those who are following Christ. And it's a wonderful thing to have an example like that, isn't it? It's wonderful to have friends who follow Christ. And then the purity of Paul's example in the last part of verse 7, he says, because we did not act in an an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working at nighttime and in daytime so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Isn't that amazing? That's wonderful. He had an example, and he told him to follow his example. And, and having a pure example is a good thing, but it can only be done if you're walking in the Spirit. I have to walk in the Spirit in order to say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. And then accountability of example. Down in verse 10, it says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. You've heard that, haven't you? If they won't work, then don't let them eat. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's like, where did that come from? Oh, it came from the Apostle Paul. 
It's not just the King James. This is the New American Standard. The NIV says the same thing. So does the ESV. The Bible tells you the same thing. You're not, you're not, so, you're supposed to work to meet your needs to be a good example to others. Now that's, that almost seems petty, doesn't it? But notice what he goes on to say. The, the church's responsibility is in verses 11 through 15. First of all, to understand the true nature of the problem. He says down in verse 11, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Let me tell you this. There's a play on words here. The word work, you know what the word work means. You, you actually do something. You accomplish something. The word busybody means to work around in circles. You know how people go around in circles? You find out everybody else's business, and, and we share it. We have something to talk about. Oh, did I tell you what happened to so-and-so? Did I tell you what happened to these people, what they, what they did? That's what busybodies are. Busybodies stay busy in other people's business rather than working to meet their own needs, is what he's talking about in this context. And then he says in verse 12, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat your own bread. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Work to meet your needs and the needs of your family, he says. And then he says, and and don't grow weary in doing what's right in verse 13. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of doing the right thing. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of the man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. This kind of stumbled me. When I see a fellow believer who's walking, that is living a lifestyle that is in disobedience to what Christ has handed over to us to live, then I'm supposed to disassociate myself with him and to give him an explanation. This is why I can't hang out with you. Because you're living in an unruly way. Why is that so important? Because living in an orderly way, living according to the commandments of Christ, is how you advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying in this context. By me living according to the commandments of Jesus Christ, I am advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you read the Sermon on the Mount and you hear the words of Jesus, some of those words confuse people. But what he's doing is he's telling them how to live in this fallen world as a member of the kingdom of God and to see people being influenced by my example of obedience. So that's even more important than knocking on doors and handing out tracts is living in obedience to Christ. And when somebody says, why do you feel like you got to do that? Because Jesus has commanded me to, and my life depends upon him. He's the one who died for me. He's the one who gave me the gift of salvation. And he says, don't grow weary in it. Don't grow weary in what's doing right, but do the right thing. And then don't avoid the task of church discipline. In verse 14, he says, I just read it to you, if anyone does not obey these commandments in this letter, take special note of that man not to associate with him. But then don't leave off the last phrase so that he may be put to shame, and yet do not regard him as an enemy. Do you know how hard it is? Have you ever actually obeyed this commandment? Speak the truth in love. You know when somebody's done something really that you need to confront them over? 
Have you ever been able to confront them in this way? Don't regard them as an enemy, but admonish them as a friend, a brother. Admonish them as a brother. Admonish is that word, which means to confront a person to the face and say, this is what the truth is about what you just did. I had to do that not too long ago in a situation that was very, very uncomfortable to say to a person, you know, what you just did, what I just witnessed, that's wrong. That's a clear violation of the will of God that he has expressed to us through Christ. That's hard to do, isn't it? Because it's much easier just to get mad and tell the person off or write him a nasty letter. You know, and say, you know, you pretend to be this, but you're not, you're this. He says, no, you admonish him as a brother. They're a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. But we tell them the truth. Why? Because we love them. And because we want them to know the truth and know what they ought to do. And that's a hard thing to do. It's much easier just to get angry and and, uh, vent your spleen. You know, just let it all flow out and call them names and tell them what you think of them. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to tell them the truth with a desire that they acknowledge it and start doing what they ought to be doing. And then don't treat them as enemies, but admonish them as brothers. I love that. Don't treat them as enemies. They're not our enemies. People who are living in disobedience to Christ, believers who confess Christ, who are living in some area of their life where they're not obeying Christ, they're not our enemies. They're our brother. And so we want to tell them the truth. I thought about having just practicing this and say, now turn to your neighbor and just try this out. <laughs> you know, just tell them the truth. You know, did you know that that, that lipstick doesn't go with the, the, the dress that you're wearing? No, it's not the kind of thing that you confront anybody. We're talking about Jesus said, he just said, wear whatever color you want. So that has nothing to do with it. That's just your, that's just your desire, your taste. And that's what we like to get mad about, that kind of stuff. I, I, it's a crack up, isn't it? For, I asked my wife this morning when I put the shirt on. I already said this, but I put my shirt on. I said, does this look okay? Because I didn't know if the color would match my the, the slacks. And she said, mm, I don't like it, but it looks okay. Color is okay. I said, why don't you like it? She said, because it's been so long since we've gone to Hawaii. I thought, yeah, but is the color okay? Yeah, color is okay. So this, this is a part of us advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we treat each other according to the commandments of Christ. I care about people. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you all. This is, our, this is what he says in verses 16 through 18, our need for the Lord's enabling grace. God's called us to do things that are impossible for us to do in our own strength. Have you noticed that? There are things he commands you to do that you cannot do in your own strength. And so you have to trust him. You have to actually cast yourself on him. And this is what he says. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord will be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write, a personal touch. In other words, he says, this is a personal letter from me to you. 
I care about you. I'm telling you these things because I really care about you. And that's why he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You need God's grace, don't you? You need God's grace to obey him. You need God's grace to live the kind of a life that advances the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have to, I'm not supposed to fake it and act like I'm really pious and religious. I'm supposed to live according to the commandments of Christ. For example, I'm to love people the way he commanded me to love people. I'm to care about people the way he told me to. I'm to use language. You know, the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5 says, Ephesians 4.30 rather, says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say, who seals you until the day of redemption. But what that means is to grieve the Holy Spirit, he tells us in the context, it's using your language to tear people down instead of build them up. Instead of encouraging words, you're using words that rip people to shreds. You probably know somebody who's really good at that. You know, all of us know certain people who are able to just cut people up. But he says the spirit grieves when his people do this because he is the one who empowers you to speak words that build up instead of tear down. And if you know, if you, if we, if, if we can see this as a part of what he's talking about here, how are we going to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ by simply obeying the commands of Christ? Because it's going to testify in the clearest way that this kingdom of God that we live in is a wonderful kingdom. I have a friend, Dave Ekman, who grew up in a home where his dad was an alcoholic, his mother was a recluse. And he said that when he was a teenager, this friend of his invited him over to his house. So he went over there and he said, I was literally shocked. I'd never been in a home like this where people talked to each other and they loved each other and they acted like they were glad to be there. And they happened to be Christians. And so it was through them that he came to faith in Jesus Christ. You want people, don't you, that come to your house to see Christ? To, to recognize that Christ is, they might not be able to verbalize it, but they know there's just something here that's different. What is it? Oh, it's the spirit of Christ. It's the aroma of Christ. That's what Paul said. He says, we live in such a way that people, even though they may not be able to explain it all, they know there's something here that touches their heart and it makes it wakes them up to something. And then you have the opportunity to explain yourself. You know, Peter says that we ought to be we ought to be able to explain the hope that lies within us. I've read that 150 times, probably a thousand times, but I have to admit, I've never had anybody ask me that. Why are you so hopeful? Because my king is sitting on the throne and we await him. We don't know when he's coming, but he's coming back to bring us into his presence. But I guess I don't, I don't exude hope like I should. If you have that happen, please come and tell me. I'd like to meet a believer who's living in such a way that people are saying, what is it about you? Why do you have such hope? Well, hope comes from promises, promises about the future. Jesus has given us so many wonderful promises about what he's going to do. When we live like that, it will cause people to want to know why. And it will be fulfilling 
the Great Commission to take the gospel to the whole world. Because we're, we're letting them see. Remember what I said about when Paul preached? He says, it didn't come in word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit with much full conviction, just as you saw what sort of men we were being made to be while we were with you for your sake. They were seeing in the men who were bringing them the gospel, the power of the gospel being manifested in their life. I've been praying for that for so long. I want God to do that in me. It's supernatural, isn't it? And sometimes you have that happen. You talk to a believer and it, it's just, just talking to them and, and hearing their heart. It fills you with a desire to know Christ, to know Christ better. We want to be those kind of people, don't we? You know, the, the uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You know what Romans 8 is? Romans 8 is telling you about life in the Spirit. Have you noticed that? That's what it's all about. And he says, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, we were stuck. Before we were saved, we were stuck in this situation where we were under the law of sin and death. All that means is we were under a law that told us the right thing to do, but it didn't empower us to do it. It just told us what was right. Parents do that a lot. I only say that because I know I've done that a lot. Where you just, you, you think your, your whole goal is, I need to tell you the, what's right in this situation. And it doesn't impact them at all. At all. But what he tells us to do is that because we're living, we are living in a condition where there's no condemnation because the spirit, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a different law. It's a law that enables and empowers us to obey. The commandments motivate us to obey. They motivate us to do God's will in our life. And that's what God has given you. He's placed you in this, and he says, he literally says this, that he's ensphered you in the spirit and grace. That's where he's put you. You live in this bubble, and it's this bubble of grace and the Holy Spirit. And he's put you under this new law, so there's never any condemnation. It's almost, I heard a guy say it this way. He said, it's like God gave you a credit card. And on this credit card, every time you have some, something wrong with you, you can put it on the card. No matter what it is. And God removes it because he removes it in Christ. Because Christ has done everything necessary to make you absolutely right with God. So for us to be the ones who are supposed to do the work of the kingdom by simply obeying by praying first of all for the advance of the gospel but then by obeying the commandments of the king we're saying to you you need to put your faith in christ and then they can see in our lives that we're obeying christ that's that's what makes the difference and what god is calling us to you and i both he's calling us to advance the gospel of jesus christ both by praying for those engaged in the gospel and also by obeying his commandments so people can see in us what it means to live under the rule of Christ and under the grace of Christ. So let me pray for you. And Why don't you stand? Let me just pray for just a moment, and then we'll sing one last song. So, Father, we bow our hearts before you. We long to be effective witnesses for you. We long to be effective in the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Father, there's times when we feel so motivated about it, and other times when we just don't even want to think about it because we feel like such failures and so incompetent. But God, we thank you for the grace and how grace is this wonderful plan where we supply to you. We supply faith. We simply trust you. We believe you, and we receive from you. We are blessed greatly, Father, and we pray that you would bless us in this pursuit of being people who live according to the commandments of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's commanded us to love one another the way Christ loved the church. What a blessed commandment. What a wonderful thing for us to have in our hearts is that we ought to love each other the way Christ loved us. I just pray that we would be that kind of people. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please you in all respects, and to see people come to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and receive life. Father, we pray for this and ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.